Uh, Brent's getting ready to come in to uh, read scripture to you. I just want to give a quick context. We are in the third week of this study on Romans 12. And Romans 12 is a very short chapter. You can read it in just a few minutes, but you can spend the rest of your life trying to live it. That's probably true of all of scripture. But for me, Romans 12 is one of the most powerful chapters, one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. And here in the passage that Brent's going to read to you, this one from the message by Eugene Peterson is a paraphrase of the scripture tries to capture and say, okay, if, if all these things we believe about God are true that Paul's been talking about early in the book, here's how we're called to live. And if we could just live like this, if this is all we did, we would transform the world for the sake of Christ and live joy that we would never know before. Hear the words. Listen to the scripture. From the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. If you preach, just preach God's message nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, Don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. (laughs) Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice loving second, practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert, servants of the Master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive to hospitality. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Brent. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Gracious and loving God, stir, move, cleanse, heal, transform, forgive, redeem. We offer ourselves to you and pray that your Holy Spirit that is certainly in this space would fill our hearts and our minds, preparing us for what is to come. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now we've gone for a couple of weeks already in Romans 12, and I, I want to just remind you, so I get us all caught up again in case you weren't here the last few weeks, In Romans 1 through 11, he's been giving a theological treatise. He's been talking about what we believe fundamentally, and it's great, but it's not all that inspirational. It's really just, here's the basics. And now, he says, in beginning in chapter 12, he says, therefore, therefore, it changes because of all these things. Now, therefore, here's what we're called to be. Here's how we are called to live. Therefore, he says, we are called to become, and I love this phrase, living sacrifices. That's in the original text in the new NRSV version. Our faithfulness is found not in the tips and casual affections we give to God. Paul is saying that for everything that God has done for us, we are called to become a living sacrifice. It's found in the depth of our willingness to sacrifice all we are, all we have, all we will be to Christ. I want you to let that sell upon your hearts for a few moments to become a living sacrifice, to give everything over 
to God. And we know that Paul is referencing the practices of long ago of animal sacrifice in the temple that was still going on in the time of Jesus. Now that sacrifice was meant to appease God. It was meant to thank God and most of all to stay in God's good favor. That sacrifice was not a living sacrifice. Blood was spilt in that sacrifice. Animals were killed to make the gift appropriate, they thought, to God. But the sacrifice Paul is writing about is very different. First, we do not become living sacrifices to God to appease God or out of fear of God. We do it because we are grateful. We do it because we become aware of the fact of everything that God has done for us, everything God is doing for us, and especially as Christians, everything that Jesus Christ has done for us and is doing for us. When we are aware of that, when we keep that in the forefront of our mind, our motivation is to want to love as a living sacrifice, to live as a living sacrifice. And secondly, again, this is a living sacrifice. It's not like the old sacrifices, one and done's. In the old sacrifice, you brought your animal, your grain, or whatever it was, based on your, your place in the, the culture, economically speaking. Either you buy you know, something to sacrifice, or you bring grain if that's what you had, and you would give it to God, and there would be a one-time, you know, kill the animal, and you're good, and you walk out, you're done, until the next time to come and do it. Jesus turns all that around, and Paul interprets it to say, no, this isn't about a one-time and done. This is about being a living sacrifice. In other words, you don't just do it now in this moment and walk out of here going, okay, I got through church today. I'm good to go for a while. No, instead, what you do is you recognize in this moment when we come before God, we are completely captured to be a part of this ongoing way in which we live whether we're here, out there, wherever we might be. This is a living, ongoing sacrifice. Uh, A preacher once said about this, the problem with a living sacrifice is you place it on the altar and it keeps running off and going away. Because a living sacrifice isn't just left at the altar of God, it is that which we bring to God and then take out and live in every moment, wherever we are, with what we do, with what we say, even with how we think. Truth be told, if there is something that gets killed in this sacrifice, it's difficult to want to tell you because it's scandalous to say in this culture. But the one thing that gets killed in this kind of living sacrifice Paul talks about is the idea that you and I know what's best for our life. In a culture and in a country where we are raised to think we are, we are to be empowered, we are to take control of our life, we are to be the ones in charge of our life, all the education I've got done, all the wealth I can obtain, all the influence I can have, every about, everything about it is to somehow to protect me from other influences. I want to be able to control my destiny. I want to be in charge of my life. That's what I was taught. But we apply that even to our faith. We want to stay in charge of our life. And we are grateful for how amazing Jesus is. And so we are willing to take him on as a close advisor. We're willing to say, Jesus, I'm, pretty, I'm good. I, I got things pretty much in control. Whoops, I hit a road bump. Hey, Jesus, help me with this. And then I'll get back in control and I'll take it over from you, Lord. I know you're busy. 
But in this becoming a living sacrifice, what we are really being invited to do is take our hands off the control of our life and to surrender ourselves. We become that which gets sacrificed and given over to God. Now, is there still personal accountability and responsibility? Of course there is. But it's driven by first doing as God would want us to do, not making decisions and hoping God ratifies them. Such faith as we have lived it is a kind of faith that provides to the world a lot of frustration. We oftentimes want God to be our respite. We want our faith to be an oasis we can rest in before we go back out into the world. We want to be healed from the hurts and forgiven for our sins. And we may even be willing to change a little. We pledge to try to do better, to work harder, and do a few more good things. And our religion becomes the oughts and the will-dos. And we wonder why the world doesn't want what we have. It's just more work more rules. But living as a sacrifice at all times, in all ways, with all we have and all that we are. See, Jesus is not looking simply to become another addition to our already overwhelmed lives. And in this passage for today, this is made clear to me in the most basic place in which we live. Love. Christians are called to live in love. And from when I was in middle school, I was raised with the lyrics of that in my head. They will know we are Christians by our, by our love. The problem is, is that when I first heard that, when I embraced it, when I thought, yes, I can do that, I thought it meant that I just had to love a little harder. I had to love more. I had to love when I didn't feel like it. I even had to love those who stirred other kinds of emotions in me. Jesus, I said, I'll try to work harder at loving more. But what I was missing in my real desire to be faithful was the possibility that the love that I knew was not the love of Christ. What I missed in my understanding is what I oftentimes equated as love fell far short of the kind of love that Jesus Christ was inviting me to share and know for myself. Because as hard as I tried, the love that I have inherent within me from the center of who I am and not the center of Christ is pretty self-serving and rather conditional. I will love you as long as. I will love you in ways that put boundaries on you and me. My love was uneven, and my love even carried a tinge of fear. I was taught to love in a way that said I really didn't dare speak my truth or be true to myself because I might ruffle someone else's feathers. They might not like me. And I somehow had it screwed up to think that to love people meant they had to like you. And I thought I had to like them. You see, I tied what I thought was love to my emotions. I was trying to love as a Christian with my love, not Jesus' love, which was sort of like being a major leaguer trying to hit a fastball with a toothpick. 
When Paul says, my love, love must be sincere in the NRSV version, he's not talking about my effort. He's not talking about me being a better person. He's calling me, he's calling all of us to love with a love that we can only get from Christ. Eugene Peterson says it this way, love from the center of who you are. And if we are Christians, in more than just name, in our center is Jesus Christ. We love as Christ loves. We are changed at the core of our lives by Christ. And wherever Christ has touched us and changed us and claimed us and we have surrendered to him, there we find that's the power of our life. That's where our love really becomes transformational. Christ's love from the center of our lives, and that love is unique in the world. Christians love in odd ways. We are willing to play second fiddle. We yearn to play second fiddle that someone else may have the first chair. Our love is a love that seeks to build bridges, to serve the needy, and think not first about ourselves. Our love is not isolationist. It is rather embracing of the entire world. It is the love of Christ, and there is no sense of hierarchy among the believers, as though there are some who are more favored or blessed or better. We share equally, and the love that you can bring is critical. And no, more, no matter how deeply I try to share the love of Christ, I can never share it as well as we can share it together. One of the places that I understand this is odd is this belief that somehow Christians love. Well, all people love. All people love. All people have an experience of love. All people are, have an experience of loving family and friends and country and whatever. And there are many people in the world who are not Christians who live amazing, wonderful lives. They are ethical, integrous people. As Christians, we can't walk around and say, well, we're the best people, or we have the greatest integrity, or we have... because the truth is, there are great people around the world in every culture, in every religion. We don't define ourselves because we love and others don't. The only thing Christians do is understand that we love as Christ loves, and that's what sets us apart. Not better, not higher, but unique, for we are representing Jesus Christ. Who do are we called to love as Christians? All. What are we supposed to do with that love? Share all that we have and all that we are. When are we supposed to do it? All the time. Where? Everywhere. How? By staying in the center of our being where Jesus Christ lives. By putting Christ in the center of our life. What's that look like? A few years ago, there was a news story about Pope Francis. He was given an audience, and in this audience, he had this group of people come up and come into a microphone and willing to ask him questions. And he got a lot of the typical questions like, how'd you feel when you became Pope and that kind of stuff. But as they were coming through, there was this young boy, about six years old, standing there, and it came time for him to come up to the mic. He, he realized all of a sudden he was about to talk to the Pope, and he froze. 
He got scared. He couldn't quite get to the mic. And those standing around him tried to encourage him. And Pope saw what was going on. He tried to encourage the boy, but the boy was scared to come up to the mic and speak to all these people who were gathered around. So the Pope motioned to come, and, the, and Emmanuel, who was his name, came straight up to him and whispered in the Pope's ear. What he had to say, he could only whisper in the Pope's ear. And there's a conversation between the two. Emmanuel goes back to his seat. As he's going back to his seat, the Pope speaks about how wonderfully brave and wonderful Emmanuel was to come up with this question. And he looks at Emmanuel and says, is it okay if I, if I ask, share what you ask? And Emmanuel nods yes. This little boy, the Pope said to the gather, just came up and asked me a question. He and his siblings, I forget now, four or five or six, just lost their father. He died. Their father had made sure that all of the boys, including Emmanuel, were baptized. But his father himself was an atheist. So Emmanuel's question was a simple one for the Pope. Is my dad in heaven? Well, now you've got the attention of everyone in that crowd. The Pope, who stands as the authority of the church, the Pope who stands in the authority of a church that oftentimes gets accused of having rules and rituals and things you have to follow and people who are in and people who are out. That Pope is standing in front of a little boy who simply wants to know if his atheistic father is with God. God is the one who says who goes to heaven, the Pope explained. But then he goes on to say, what do you think? A father's heart. God has a dad's heart. And with a dad who is not a believer, but who baptizes children and gave them their faith, do you think God would be able to leave him far from himself? And then he asked the crowd, does God abandon his children? Does God abandon his children when they are good? And the children in the crowd said, no. There, Emmanuel, that is your answer. For I am sure... The God who loves could never turn away anyone who loves like your dad. In that moment, the Pope quit being the authoritarian of the rules and rituals. In that point, that Pope looked at a little boy who wants to know about his dad. And he wasn't being kind. I want you to understand that. It wasn't because the Pope is too soft-hearted to speak truth. It's because his heart was softened. He could speak truth. Through it all, through all the rules and rituals, it's about love, as Jesus loves. And the Pope answered correctly. He answered from the center of his being. Now, you're going to say, yeah, but I'm not the Pope. I'm not that quick. I, I, I couldn't think that fast. That's probably true for you and for me. We're not the Pope. But we say we are Christians who have Jesus Christ at the center of our hearts. And so how do you live out being that living sacrifice where love is how you share with the world? Well... Last week, you fed 300 people in the city of Detroit you didn't know. You took time to put some food together in a bag. I know it wasn't that big a deal, unless you're the one who's getting the food the next day. Do you understand? That's an action in love. 
Yesterday, we received a phone call from someone who was letting us know that another member of the congregation had been taken to the hospital. And a message came to me immediately from Laura Kumar Larson, who's in charge of our Congregational Care Ministers program, and said, should I send a CCM? And I sent back to her, that'd be great if you could do that. She wrote me back within 15 minutes and told me that Margaret Roberts was on her way to the hospital on the middle of a Saturday where she had other things to do. Margaret chose to go to a hospital to visit somebody, and I happened to know that that visit went extremely well, went very long, and they talked about all manner of things, and she brought comfort and grace to one of our aged in the hospital. Why? Because she was loving from the center of who she was. I watched the members of this congregation who take care of the food pantry, come in and out, hauling groceries, organizing, straightening, working with clients, and quite frankly, it's a lot of work and effort. There's only one reason why you would do it. It's because they're living out of the center of their being, where Christ is. It's not always pretty. It's not always easy. I was recently in a very, very difficult situation. Nah, situation, that's not the right word. I was in a very hard conversation. And I was on the receiving end. But it was a good conversation. It was hard to hear. But it was the right one. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm changing my life because of it. Love doesn't always mean you make the other person happy. You make them better. You make it more possible for them to know how to live love. You make it possible for them to begin to be living sacrifices more perfectly. That conversation did that for me. As parents, we get confused about that, don't we? We want our kids to like us, and we forget that's not our task. So we say the hard conversations, we say the yeses and nos not because of how they'll like us the next day, but because how they'll be when they're 40. We do that with our friends. We do that in the church. It's who we're called to be. Oh, it isn't that love is devoid of emotion. That's not the case at all. It's just emotions don't drive it. Christ does. How do you know if Christ is at the center of your life? Look at how you're loving. Are you living like Christ? Are you loving like Christ? I taught a class this past week, and in it I was sharing a quote from John Wesley, and I'm going to paraphrase it badly, but basically he was saying he spent all of his life trying to learn in his solitude how to grow closer to Jesus. I mean, he always kept practicing that, his daily rituals, his prayers, and, and so on. He wanted to grow closer in solitude to Jesus, and he says at the end, but I began to realize that's not how Jesus loved. 
And if I were to live as Jesus lived, now he's near 70 when he says this, and the entire arc of his life gets changed in that moment. How many things have we worked for all of our life that at the end of the day, we're never about what God wanted us to do in the first place because we were in control of our life and not God? How many times do we say to those of you who are in your younger part of life or in school right now or making career choices, and we want you to be the best, we want you to be the strongest, we want you to be the most educated, you want to have a career path that gives you all these things. How many times does someone say to you, what does God want your life to be like? Where can you serve God the best where you are and where you will be? Where you find the joy of Christ? How's your love lately? Does it reflect Jesus? Does it come from Jesus? Well, that choice is yours and it's mine. And you and I can make that choice right now we collectively can make that choice right now. Love from the center by letting Christ into the center of your life. And then they will know we are Christians by that love. Would you pray with me? I will not take time, Lord, lifting up all the ways in which my love has not reflected your love. I will not waste the time because the list is too long and you know it anyway. And yet, you come in this moment knowing that true for all of us and you say, I don't care. I just want you right now to make a choice. Lord, in this moment, if we dare, if we are ready, if we can find the courage and the hope, I ask that we would let you be at the center of our life. Let us take our hands off of trying to control us, our lives, and others so tightly, and let us surrender to you. Use us now as your tools and instruments and grace, and let us find that the impact we have goes far beyond whatever we thought we could do without you. May it be so. To your glory in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.